Well, good morning. Everybody doing okay? Good, good, good. It is missions week here, and uh, somebody made a comment earlier. Josh and Tracy almost looked like they were in hiding, right? <laughs> Trying to reveal, not reveal who they were, but they're in Germany. They're fine. Everybody's safe. <laughs> Just bad lighting on the video, that's all. <laughs> Um, but it is great to hear from them. They're a great example of using their business talents. Look out. All right. Let's try that again. They're going to use their business talents to reach different peoples, and they're over there working hard and doing what we call kind of tent making, which is evangelizing while you hold a normal job. And because the world is flat today, we can do that. We're really excited about that. Uh, because it is the week that we emphasize loving the world, we've got a lot of things going on. Today is the beginning, and next Sunday we'll kind of wind down and it'll serve as a bookend to our Loving the World week. Uh, here's a couple things that we have going on. Uh, this coming week, what we have for you is what we call a five-day missional challenge. And simply what that is, is for those of you who want to take this challenge, Every day we will drop something to you via email and it will be a small challenge on how you can lead your family to growing in mission, thinking better about mission, how you yourself can research some things, pray for special projects here at TCC, and just grow in your love for the nations. Uh, we're not going to email that to everybody in the church. You have to say that you're interested. So if you want to get these things, just text me, not while I'm preaching, but text me later, email me, and we'll make sure that you get these challenges in order to grow in your love for missions. So that's going on every day this week. Uh, additionally, next week we've got a real treat. Uh, John Latham is here, who is normally laboring in East Asia. He is an international worker, but next week he'll be here preaching for us. I can't wait. He's going to do a phenomenal job. So that'll be next week here for us. And after the second service next week, I know you're here early, but after the second service next week, you'll want to come back because what we're doing is called underground immersion. Uh, John's work in East Asia is underground. In other words, uh, it's, it's illegal what he does in sharing the gospel. He teaches uh, and trains pastors and what he's going to do for us next week, you'll probably never get a chance to do this, is he's actually going to demonstrate uh, what it's like to be a part of an underground uh, church in an underground seminary where he does theological training. So that'll be next week after the second service. We'll have lunch for you. We'll have child care on a limited basis. And we're really excited about that. You get a chance to just step into East Asia and learn a, bit, a little bit what it's like as he teaches us about who Christ is from the Old Testament. So I'm super excited about that. That too, we need you to RSVP. Just email us and tell us you're interested. That way we can have food for you and get you all set up. And then finally, uh, also this week and next week, uh, if you have children in KTC and they're old enough, uh, they are going to hear today uh, about John's work in East Asia. And uh, they are going to be given the opportunity next week to participate in a children's offering. Uh, where John works, uh, the people don't have a lot of money, and for $60, you can purchase a seminary class for a pastor with no Bible education. So we're going to challenge, actually, our kids 
in the next couple of weeks. They'll be training this week. They'll hear from John's kids. So right now, John's kids are sharing with your kids in KTC, and he's challenging them. If you want to help a pastor to get Bible training in East Asia, uh, you can give next week. So next week, NKTC will take up an offering. We'll send you something about it this week. But we've got a lot going on. We're super thrilled to be celebrating God's spreading movement here with you this week. Um, kind of as a preview to this week, two weeks ago, you guys were good enough to send me and uh, one of my kids to China to be with the Chilton family, to encourage them, and uh, just to live life on life with them. And I just want to say briefly, they're doing great. They're progressing in language. Uh, They're making friends. They've got a really neat church there that they're a part of, and everything's going well. But they just have to live in a world of constant change and uh, constant uncertainty. For instance, today, uh, Tim emailed me. I just got back, and everything was rosy while I was there. But when I uh, opened up my email this morning, he sent me a message and you never want to see this if you are a pastor working with uh, missionaries. But the, the headline was like, um, subject line was like security concerns. <laughs> I was like safety concerns. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So I began to read. And uh, one of his coworkers has just been kicked out of the country because he was labeled a government spy. Of course, he wasn't. He was just talking about Jesus, but he's labeled a spy. He was kicked out of the country. Uh, another uh, of his friends there that I actually met when I was there, uh, is scheduled to leave the country, and the government's already told him, once you leave, you're not coming back. We've got you marked, so you can't enter back into China. And yet a third person was denied a visa that was supposed to visit there and work long term. So uh, his world is changing. All that means that tomorrow, uh, Tim could be kicked out of the country. Uh, We don't know what will happen, but in his area of the world, the government is cracking down on Jesus people especially foreign Jesus lovers. And so they live in a constant state of turmoil. You'll remember uh, back in August, I was able to go to uh, Central Asia to visit the Houstons who are working with an unreached people group there in in, uh, Central Asia. And if you recall, they had to leave their whole city where they had planted a church among the Kurdish people and they had to leave it and uh, relocate to an entirely different city. Uh, because of the persecution. The government basically said, you can't do that here, and they forced them out. So it's a, a huge issue here with these workers to to live in, in this chaos. And, and I thought to myself as I was processing all of this recently, we need as a church certainties that missions will succeed, because things are always changing for these people. People are having to leave. They're having to relocate. Uh, There's all kinds of barriers to doing missions. How can we find certainty of success of the mission of God in the scriptures? And that's what we're going to talk about today, because we need certainties for assurances, and we need certainties for motivation as we as a local church continue to push our people, send each other to go and spread Jesus where he currently is not. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a couple of certainties to propel us forward in global mission. Now, before we get started, I want to pray here for us all. This prayer will come from Psalm 104. 
And uh, let's just pray together. I'll, I'll pray this text, and then I'll also say a special prayer for some of the concerns that our workers mentioned on the video. Let's pray. God, we bless you. Oh, my soul, we bless you this morning. We say together that only you are clothed with splendor and majesty. Father, you cover yourself with light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. It is you, O God, who lays the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make your messengers wind. Your ministers are a flaming fire. And you set the earth on its foundation, God, so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. And the waters stood above the mountain. God, we pray, may your glory endure forever. And may you rejoice in your own works here at TCC. You who looks upon the earth and the earth trembles. You who touches the mountains and they smoke. God, may we sing to you this morning. And as long as we live, may we sing praises to you, O God. While we have been. And may our meditation be pleasing to you, O Lord. For we rejoice in you. And we pray especially. We, we call out God on behalf of uh, all of those requests that we just heard. For Josh and Tracy who are evangelizing there in Germany. He's using his work to say Jesus. To speak Jesus. To read Jesus. To be the gospel to people there. I pray that you bless them. God, I pray for Amy and all of our friends. She has many, many friends in our new city. She just sent us pictures, Father, and people were everywhere there, God. And I just pray for the new believers there, the precious girl in the video who just accepted Christ. May you, you come and grant her peace and flourishing in the gospel lifestyle. God, do not leave your people abroad alone. Instead, we pray that you minister to them with many, many gospel graces. God, we pray this and other blessings on ourselves this morning and the people you reach, reach overseas. We pray this in God's name, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week I was watching a Christmas movie with my kids. We like to sit down sometimes and watch the, the old ones. And we watched uh, this week... Uh, the Christmas Story. You ever seen that movie with Ralphie? And, uh, you know, I actually found out you can, they actually restored Ralphie's house and you can tour there in Cleveland, Ohio, and you can even spend the night there. Wouldn't that be cool? Julie, that's my Christmas witch, just spending the night in Ralphie's house. But remember the storyline of that movie, little eight-year-old kid, and all he wanted for Christmas was a Red Rider BB gun, right? But his teacher and his mama, uh, they nixed it saying it's too dangerous, she'll shoot your eye out, remember that? And so the whole movie is him trying to get it and working towards that, and then there comes Christmas Day, and he, he shows up at his tree, and he's got a lot of presents there, and he, he goes through it there with his goofy little brother, and they, they, they keep opening presents, a lot of them they don't even want, and finally he gets down to the last one, and the box is like this, and it's not a BB gun, and he's deflated, he sits on the uh, couch with his family and his dad's like oh maybe next year you'll get what you want and he's like yeah and then all of a sudden in dramatic fashion the parents are like oh what's that behind the chair over there and he runs over there and he pulls back the chair and it's the great reveal it's the bb gun he's always wanted and i always thought man 
Those were the best Christmas presents where there was some dramatic revealing of exactly what you needed or you wanted. And I thought that about the text. We're going to be in Luke again today and then we're going to move, bounce off of that. But I thought that about the text in Luke. There is a big reveal in Luke. There is a moment where God gives us exactly what we need and what will be best for us. God reveals that he is going to show himself off. He lets us know that his greatness will not be kept a secret. We will not be like children on Christmas who sit there and they never get the big present. He's going to give himself as the big present. That's one reason we do missions um, in, in correlation with Advent here because there's never been a greater missionary endeavor than God looking on a hopeless, lost people and saying, I'm going to send someone to you. He sent himself in Jesus Christ to come and redeem all of the earth. And that's what God promises here in Luke today. And that will be our certainty. We will not quit here at TCC. Sending and praying and resourcing and giving and raising up leaders and translating and doing justice because we have the certainty that God is going to show himself to all people. Let's look there here in the text. Uh, again, Luke 1. We've been going through Luke, and we're going to uh, start there today and bounce over to another text. Last week, you'll remember that John Mark finished Luke 1, and I just want to uh, call your attention to a couple of texts there that point to this reality that God will reveal himself. He's going to give himself to all humanity. One text is Luke 1.17, and the other is Luke 1.76, where we finished up last week. Look with me here in Luke 1, verse 17. We've been reading about John the Baptist. A lot of this first chapter is, relates to John the Baptist and his ministry. And uh, read verse uh, 17 with me. Uh, Luke writes about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he will go before him, the him is the Messiah here, he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now what's this about? Why is he compared to Elijah? Why are they related? Well, in the Old Testament, you might remember Elijah was a prophet, but he wasn't just a prophet, he was a phenomenal prophet. He was a guy who climbed up on Mount Carmel, and he took on 450 false god prophets and said, you do your thing right here, I'll do my thing right here, and it'll be harder, and we'll see whose God shows up, right? And he stands there and he says, well, the true God reveal himself, bam, fire comes down. And Elijah proves that there is one true living God. And he lived in the wilderness, and it, that was his deal, as God was revealing himself in crazy ways through Elijah. That's how John the Baptist relates to Elijah. He was a wilderness guy. Remember Mark 1 says that he went around wearing camel's robes. That's weird. He ate like a honey nut grasshopper cereal. Uh, it was crazy his diet, but all of that was to show you how he related to Elijah because he was also a revealer of the mighty glory of God. And uh, if we keep reading here, the next phrase in uh, 117 
Elijah's job description is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I want to zero in on that last phrase. His job, uh, John the Baptist, as the new Elijah, is to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now that's in 117. Now skip ahead to 176, 176, text we read last week. And you read a very similar phrase. Here we have the uh, prayer of Zechariah, and he's praying now about uh, John the Baptist. And he said, you child, little John the Baptist baby, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to what? Prepare his ways. So the, the, uh, the correlation there is preparedness. He is going to be a preparer, John the Baptist. He is to prepare God's people and to prepare God's ways. And this same language is used of John the Baptist in Mark 1 where he's talked about now he's to prepare God's people that God has chosen for something phenomenal that God will do, but he doesn't exactly answer what it's going to be yet in chapter 1. And so to do this, you kind of have to backtrack because he's getting this prepared language from the Old Testament. There are several texts, and I just want to focus in on one this morning. So turn with me back to Isaiah 40. Because when Luke is writing about John the Baptist being a preparer, he is drawing that language from Isaiah 40. It's his way of saying what was talked about way back then is happening now. And it matters to our efforts of global mission. So here's the backdrop in Isaiah 40. Uh, there's a whole section here that is designed to give comfort to God's people in Isaiah 40. Uh, the first half of the book, we think that Isaiah uh, was writing there. He, he was dated in 700s BC sometime. He's writing to the people before they go through the exile. Now, when you get to this section in section 40, it begins a new part of the book, 40 through 55, where he's <clears throat> talking to the exile people. So he's writing before the exile, but he's talking to people who are stripped away from their homeland. They're, they're almost enslaved. Uh, God has left the temple. They are no longer to worship the way God would have them worship. They're separated from their creator and their God, and he's trying to give them comfort. And that's the backdrop here to Isaiah 40. Read it with me in verse 1. And see where the prophet writes this. And listen carefully to the news he gives as a comfort. He writes, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her that her welfare is ended. And her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord, the Lord's hand, double for all of our sin. His comfort is that Israel will now be forgiven. They had sinned, they had taken idol after idol after idol, and they would be ripped away from the presence of God, separated. But God was saying, that time is over now. You've been punished doubly so through this exile, and now is a time for your comfort. And then in verse 3, we have specifically one of the verses that Luke is using to describe the ministry of John the Baptist. So verse 3 is the beginning of the verse that uh, Luke is looking at when he's writing his gospel. Read it with me here. He said, a voice cries in the wilderness. So he's having a vision, apparently, of a voice crying, the prophet Isaiah is. And look what the voice said. A voice cries in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So in its original near context, what this meant was that uh, God needed to be prepared for because he's going to revisit his people. He was coming back to them after the exile. God had been gone. Now they're going to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and God will come to them through the wilderness. God will arrive at his people. But here's the amazing thing. Isaiah isn't just looking back to the 500s um, and beyond uh, and B.C. He's looking further across time throughout the hallways of redemptive history and he sees a time when there will be a giant visitation of the glory of God. The glory of God shall be revealed. If you read in verse 5, keep reading, skip down. It becomes clear when Isaiah said, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. That's a promise, not just for the people living in 500 B.C. and after, but also for us today. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. God was going to show up. What's amazing is that as Luke is writing... He has to wrestle with and finally admit that when God showed up, it was a dude. It was a man. He's expecting God to reveal himself. God is coming. God is coming. God is coming. And it's a baby born in a manger. Phenomenal. We're a little detached from that today because of all the history that's happened. But it was an amazing thing to Luke to say, God has come in the person of of Jesus Christ. Paul Tripp says here, the stunning news of Bethlehem was that God had taken on flesh in order to be the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice for all our redemption. What does that mean? That means God reveals himself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that says, in the beginning, God created everything to show off his greatness. And it was good. And then man came along and denied God's greatness and earned the penalty of death. So God responds by sending his son, Jesus, the light in the darkness, to take the penalty through his death so that we don't have to die eternally. And then he rose again on the third day, proving that God accepted this sacrifice and also at the beginning of a brand new creation, this old creation's messed up. When Jesus rose again from the dead, it was like, oh, we've got something new here, something that won't die. And then every one of us who trusts Christ receives his spirit, and that spirit does that same resurrection work within us. We are part of the new creation. We are reborn. We are remade in the image of God that will not fade, that will not die. And one day, we praise God, Christ will come again and finish all of this remaking of creation. And it will be glorious when he triumphs over sin and Satan. That's the good news we hear. That's the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And we invite everyone to rest in that this morning. This is our certainty. Hopefully you can see the certainty of God revealing himself as revealed to us in Isaiah 40, is going to be our anchor as we continue to do mission. We cannot go if we're uh, confused, if we're uncertain that it's going to work. 
We have to rely on this anchor of God promising in Isaiah, Luke picking up on that, that John the Baptist is going to lead the way to the person in whom God shows himself off. God will reveal himself. David Garrison is a writer. He had a book called uh, Wind in the House of Islam. Maybe you've read it, but there's a story in there that's remarkable. The story of Rafiq. Rafiq was a Berber. That's a a Muslim ethnic group from North Africa. And uh, Rafiq wasn't living in North Africa when he was telling the story. He was in uh, France. He was uh, Paris. He was an unbeliever. He was a lifelong Muslim. And he was a struggling musician in Paris, France. Uh, And he he tells a story of one day he was walking on, uh, and it was a muggy day, and he stepped inside a doorway to light a cigarette, and he lit a cigarette, and lo and behold, for the first time in his life, he had stepped inside of a Christian church. And so he's like, hey, it's a Christian church, you know, I'll, I'll check it out. And so he starts walking around, and he sees this picture of Jesus, and maybe you've seen it before, um, it's a picture of Jesus holding the little lamb, and it says, the good shepherd will care for his sheep. And he's, he's transfixed by this. And he goes on to read, and it says something about Jesus dying for his people. And he begins to think, what a musical ballad this would make. I'm a musician. I can write this story and sell it, right? And so he goes up, and he asks the church leader, can I have a a book about this guy? And he ends up taking uh, four Gospels with him. And for the next month, Rafiq immerses him. He dies in. He doesn't come up for air until he's lived in the four Gospels for a month. When he comes up, he says, I'm going to write a musical. And he ends up writing this musical all the way from when Gabriel comes and makes the announcement to when Jesus uh, leaves the earth. And he's going to go shop this around. He tells all of his friends about them. And he says, my friends all warned me that uh, if I I put this out there, it would be uh, in Europe received as anti-Semitic. And I wouldn't even get fired. And he eventually did get fired. But as he was shopping it around, this musical... His friend said, be careful. Don't lose yourself in this person, Jesus. And after a month of being in the scriptures, he just nodded his head. And he said, it's too late. He already has me. He already has me. He had been converted. And even better, he goes and he tells his wife, Nora. And he said, listen, listen to what I've read. Let me tell you the story of Jesus. And she was ministering to Rafik's sister who had been sick. And she said to him, uh, to Rafik, after he would tell her about Jesus, uh, she finally cried out and said, okay, I'll try it. I'll cry out to your God of the Bible. And she cries out, and her exact words were, either reveal yourself to me, or I'm out of here. I'm leaving this sick person. I'm leaving this marriage. God, reveal yourself to me, or I'm gone. And he ends up healing the sister and healing her heart. She is broken down by the gospel. She claims Jesus. They move from Paris back to North Africa, and they start doing, like the Gallagher's, tent making. They're musicians in North Africa writing music, and he said it's all to reveal the glory of God. God is going to show himself off. God has a mission to show himself off and to reveal himself in Jesus Christ. Three weeks ago when I was in China, uh, I had the joy of going to uh, you know, an underground Bible study church meeting there. Uh, and so we took a, a trip down to the heart of the city. Tianjin, where the Chilterns live, has 15 million people. 
huge city, uh, third or fourth largest in China, so it's just dense. And uh, we went, and it was a just totally smoggy day, and uh, we went up into this uh, ambiguous apartment there, four floors up. We walked up the stairs. We opened up into this room, and jammed into this little apartment with like 25 uh, people, mostly Chinese nationals, some speaking in English, some speaking in Chinese. Of course, I was lost because I don't speak Chinese, but uh, I was there, and I was enjoying this Bible study, and they began to sing songs glorifying Jesus and they ate together, they read the scriptures together, they prayed. And at some point, the, uh, the Western guy who was leading this meeting uh, pulled me aside and he said, what do you think about that picture I have on my wall? And it's one of those houses where you walk in, uh, the apartment was, and right to the right was this huge painting. It, it ran the whole length of the wall. And honestly, I looked at it, and it, it was blue, white, splotchy stuff, almost like chalk paint, but a little bit different. He said, I got that in Beijing. What do you think about it? I looked at it, and it looked like a blue camel, an awkward blue camel bending over. And I said, well, it looks like some sort of animal. He said, that, yeah, that's what everybody thinks. But look at it some more. And it's one of those deals where you look at it from the right perspective, and it's actually not a camel at all. It's the face of Jesus, and he's on the cross. Now, I know it doesn't sound like a camel, but you know how art works, right? <laughs> and so this guy turns to me, and he says, that, that's what my house is about. That's what this whole Bible study is about. Students walk in here, and they always look at this painting, and they say, oh, that's a camel. And then at some point, it's revealed to them that, oh, that's a man dying. Tell me more about that. And as we had the Bible study I was just overjoyed. We sang the songs in Chinese, and I tried to keep up. Uh, but uh, one, one girl stood up, and she said, I'm not, a, I'm not a follower yet. I'm just seeking. That was her language. But I want you to know I brought my roommate here because the stuff you're saying is so great, she needs to hear it. God was showing himself off. And indeed, just very recently, God has saved a girl from that very Bible study all over the world. You need to be encouraged. Isaiah 40 is coming true. God is revealing himself in Jesus Christ. If you look back there in Isaiah 40 quickly, um, notice that the same comfort that uh, that he told Israel that God had not forgotten them It'll be the same comfort for those we reach on the mission field. The comfort is God himself. The comfort is God is near you. Look in Isaiah 40, um, verse 28. When the glory of God is given to console, here's what happens. This will be familiar because some of us memorized this verse at one time, Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now listen to this. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not Faint. Did you know here, did you see it, that when God reveals himself, it often is coupled with justice. Social justice type words come up. Giving power to the faint. Did you see that one there? Or strength to the one who is weak and has no might. Oftentimes today, as we are spreading, it goes hand in hand with God's chief desire to show himself 
and to show off his justice mingled together as we are spreading the gospel. I had a, heard a story recently about two Western missionaries, uh, Donna and Rachel, and they were working in South Asia, and they were somewhere up in the mountains in the boonies. There are regions up there that um, are pretty much cut off, but they had gotten in there, and they started making inroads to this Muslim community in South Asia, and uh, a gospel movement had uh, almost began to start there when they arrived, and it was mainly among the men. Uh, they'd been exposed to the gospel for the first time, and the, uh, these missionaries came in, and they were going to go to a private place and gather 12 women and begin to teach the women. And so uh, they made the journey. They came to this uh, place way out in the mountains into this private place. It was a, a leper colony, so they knew that nobody would show up and uh, give them any trouble because nobody went near the leper colony. So they rented out this leper colony. They went in there. They went to meet the 12 women, and they were shocked when they showed up, and it was actually 12 men there. It was the husbands of the women, and those men had decided, this is way too dangerous for our wives to come. They might be embarrassed. They might be exposed. You're a Westerner. We don't know. So we came instead. And so the whole thing just jumped really awkward. Because if you know anything about uh, really conservative Muslim culture, the men folk don't talk to the women folk. They don't intermingle. So imagine the scene. Twelve guys, two Western women coming in, and you had 11 guys kind of staying back, and one of them had to come forward, number 12, and he's like, um, this, is, this is weird because we don't even know if we can talk to you. And the women said, well, well, we'll share with you. And they're like, I don't think we can learn from women. That's how their view of women was functioning in that territory. So they had a really, really weird morning of mostly ignoring one another, not, not the women, but the men were ignoring them. But it came to lunchtime, and picture the scene on the lunch table. You had 11 guys down here. You had the two Western missionaries down here, and the one guy who had to show hospitality because it's required in the culture. He was awkwardly having to talk to the women, looking away. And so they're eating, and they're having conversation, and the women start to talk about Jesus some and the Bible. And the guy actually asks the question, prepare yourself, He's eating there, and he's saying, so are you saying that you would have us stop beating up our women? She was shocked. You know, spit out the one? And yeah, if, if, we, if we believe this, do we have to stop beating up our wives? She's like, yes, yes, of course. And she began to have a conversation with him um, uh, about the Bible, more about the love of Christ. They ended up having to leave and she lived four hours away, these missionary women. And four hours away and 2,000 years away, she began to text over that distance the good news of Jesus all the way from Genesis up to the Gospels, showing justice off, showing how when God arrives, justice prevails. And she was so scared because she found out this brutal news of uh, injustice among this whole tribal group. Uh, later, when she came back, uh, it was sometime later that she visited this place again. She met the same guy, and, and she met him, and, and they began to talk. And he said to her, I, I want you to know, when you sent us that day, you sent us all those texts, me and those guys, we stayed up all night. And we argued, and we discussed, and we read these things about Jesus. And, and I just want to tell you, we want you to teach us how to stop beating our wives. And the guy confessed. He said, I participated in the killing of multiple wives. 
It's just what we do here. But this Jesus seems different. You have shown us something we have never seen before. And you know how discipleship works. It's not overnight, but they began the process of bringing in social justice hand in hand with the gospel so that a movement started where women were treated fairly and the gospel prevailed. God will reveal himself in Jesus Christ. That's a promise coming true in this one little mountainous region. There's more here. That's the first half of Isaiah 40. I want to point one more thing out. Because it's not just that God is going to reveal himself that it serves as our certainty. There's one more certainty here in Isaiah 40 that we need to hold on to as we stake out to give our resources, to send our children, to pray, spending hours of prayer that God would save his people all overseas. Look back at Isaiah 40 verse 5 again. Because I didn't read the whole verse earlier. Let's read the whole verse. It says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, first half of the promise, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is this all flesh language talking about? Well, within the context of Isaiah 40 and 45, it includes the Gentiles, everybody that's not a, a Jew. It includes nations, peoples, however you want to say it. Ethnic groups that aren't Jewish are a part of this all flesh and God is going to reveal himself to all of these different peoples. Back in Luke, you can turn there if you want, but um, back in Luke it becomes a little more clear at the last part of chapter 1 that John Mark preached on last week. In verse 79, we read, The Messiah will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. That verse, Luke 179, is rooted in Isaiah 60. So later in Isaiah 60, same prophecy, same book, we read this from Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 3, that helps explain what this all flesh means. We read, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. And don't miss this. The words nations and peoples tell us who this all flesh is in verse 5 of Isaiah 40. All ethnic groups will see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's why we do not quit. And to further ensure our certainty, look, look what Isaiah does back in chapter 40. Here's a verse that may be familiar to you from chapter 40. Because um, what we've seen in verse 5 is that God will reveal himself and he'll do it to all flesh, every ethnic group. And then Dr. Luke had been applying this to the revealing of Jesus, the person from Nazareth as the Christ himself. He's the one, and in, in Acts, Luke wrote about how the gospel started in Jerusalem and go to all nations. But here in Isaiah 40, look at verse 4. There's a couple more things we want to see here. 
Verse, verse 4, every valley shall be lifted up. Talking about the glory of God coming to all flesh. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. He's using geography metaphors here. And what do you notice? There's a leveling, right? The big stuff becomes flat. The deep stuff rises up. And there's a leveling of all barriers to the glory of God being revealed. Again, he's looking at the coming of Jesus. He's also got an eye to the end times when all nations uh, will come to God and all creation will be restored and recreated. But specifically, as applied to missions, we need to take hope that God promises to level the barriers to the gospel. We just heard from Amy. Uh, She left Tokyo. She's in her new city. And man, is that girl called to evangelize. And I remember just two years ago, sitting in my office with her, and she said, I want to go. I want TCC to send me. I, I promised I'll evangelize. I just want to work with students. Just send me. She's begging. And I said, you know, you know Japanese at all? She's like, no, I can't even speak a, a lick of Japanese, but I want to go. That's a big barrier because the gospel is made up of words. If you can't say those words, it's not going to go through. But she moved there, and she's been diligently learning Japanese. Not easy, but she's learning it, and you can see the barrier dissipate. Maybe you've heard the story of uh, Raymond Lowell. Raymond Lowell was a a missionary in Africa, and he did some work uh, there early on in his life, and then he moved and became an academic, and he began to teach uh, in Europe teach philosophy and other things. And he was growing old. He grew to be 79 years old. And all of his friends said, Raymond Lowell, this is, the, this is the last part of your life. This is the easy season. We want you to take it easy. You were a missionary early. And he felt the call of God at 79. And he said, you know what? I'm leaving the academy. And so he left Europe at 79 years old and went back to the people that he had ministered to previously and he spent the next year encouraging them, sharing the gospel and at age 80 he was martyred in the 1300s, killed for speaking the glorious good news of Christ. But he wasn't going to let the barrier of age bring him down. The gospel will flatten mountains and raise up valleys so that all flesh will see the glory of God. One more thing from Isaiah 40. Skip down to 6 through 8. Here's a verse you've probably read before. Isaiah is still having this vision where voices are crying. He doesn't really say who the voice is, but it's from God. It's an angel or it's God himself speaking. And Isaiah is overhearing it. Here's the conversation. A voice says... Cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. And famously, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This verse says a lot. Chiefly, it's comparing... uh, the constancy of God and contrasting that with uh, how man will fade away. Man's character, man's beauty will be diminished, but God stays forever. And of course that applies to God's word throughout the Old Testament and moving forward. But within the near context here, within the context of 
these verses, what is the word of God that will never fade? It is this promise. The word of God that will never fade is that he will show off his glory to all flesh. That will never fade. That is the promise that is unshakable. That is the promise that gives us certainty to keep moving. Certainty that God will show himself to all people groups and ethnic groups. This year my family was decorating the tree. I don't know if you've done that. We do it right after Thanksgiving. And uh, my wife was putting on some ornaments. And one of them had written on it from our kids previously. It had the word water written on the ornament. And kind of dumbly, I was like, hey, what's, what's this one say water for? It's hanging on the tree. Because uh, I know that she always themes our tree redemptively and always have some biblical slant that I enjoy, but I can't figure this one out. And I'm like, oh, what's water mean here? And she reminded me gently and nicely that uh, on another Christmas, we'd all sit around and made ornaments to correspond with a certain unreached people group, the die people group that we are reaching here. And water is the name of one of the valleys in which the die live. They live in eight or so river valleys, and they have names like Water Valley and Deep Valley and River Valley. And we pray for those, and I didn't make the connection. But it reminded me what success we have had among the die people for the glory of God. We've been working there for 11 years. And what we're doing is translating the Bible so that they can see the glory of God. In 2014, James was finished. This is people that didn't even have a written word, and now they've got a written word of God. 2015, all the Johns were done, the book of Mark, Colossians. This year, 2016, Matthew's completed, Galatians through Philippians, Philemon. Next year, they're working on First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Peter, Jude, and Revelation. In 2018, the New Testament will be finished for this unreached people group who never had access and this week, I just grabbed a couple of my kids, numbers two and three. We stopped using names a long time ago. <laughs> and I'm like, two and three, let's pray. Look, look at this ornament. Let's pray. Do you know what this is? And they were smarter than me. Yeah, we know. And so we prayed and we called out, God, don't forget to die. Don't forget your promise. You are going to reveal yourself to every ethnic group, and TCC is a part of that. So come and show your Jesus off. Show Jesus off to the die people. And then on that very day, I got an update from David, and we'll play it next week. But I'm going to steal his thunder. <laughs> in, the, in the past three months, 22 new die people have come to Jesus. Amen. Yes, you're a part of that. You're sending and you're spreading and you're giving. And God is fulfilling his promise through TCC to show off Jesus Christ. This is our motivation and our assurance. You don't want to waste your life. You don't want to waste your resources. There's a company out there, a website called Find the Company. And Find the Company is in the business of not predicting the next Uber or Google or next blow-up business. They're trying to figure out who's going to fail. That's their whole website. So they run all these advanced analytics, and they're going to tell you who not to invest in, right? And one of the, uh, who's going to be the next borders or whatever. And one of, the, um, one of the companies they said that would fail two years ago in 14 actually failed in 15. It was Quicksilver, 
um, the surfing apparel company just went bankrupt in, in 15. These guys predicted it, and they're looking ahead to 17. They're saying, watch out for Sprint, uh, Sears, JCPenney's. So you may want to think twice before investing there. If you work there, I'm sorry to give you this bad news. The economy's crazy. It's so uncertain. But that's unlike our endeavors as a church. Our mission endeavors are based upon the certainty, not of the individual. The children might have to come home tomorrow. We don't promise the Houstons that they'll be safe. They live daily knowing that one of their children could be abducted. That's not safety that they're hoping in. What they're hoping is is the assurance and the promise that God will reveal himself to all flesh. And I pray that you take hold of this. We ask a lot of you as a church. We ask that you go, that you sin, that you leave your family behind, that you pray that your kids will go. But know that what you're investing in is a certainty. It will not wither. It will not fall away. But God's promise will stand forever that he will reveal himself in Jesus Christ to all flesh. Let's pray together. God, we do pray. We pray that you show yourself off in the way that you promised in Isaiah 40. How glorious is it that you came in Jesus, a person. That's glorious. And we just pray for the strength, for the hope, for the faith to believe your certain promises. Grant us more faith this Christmas season as we set to redouble our efforts to reach the unreached. We set to pay for seminary classes for East Asian pastors so that they can spread the glory of God. We set to work against social injustice and for the justice of Christ to be seen. God, that takes a lot of strength and a lot of hope, and I pray that you fuel it today by the certainty of your word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.